Only by investing with a gender lens can we build impactful infrastructure that's fit for purpose in this evolving world. I'm Oli Gyu. And I'm Shika Vortal, and this is Pitch Pulse, a podcast from the Private Infrastructure Development Group. Pitch finances innovative infrastructure projects in sub-Saharan Africa and South and Southeast Asia. We're committed to the economic growth of the world's most fragile communities, lifting them out of poverty with a strong focus on sustainability. In today's episode, we're marking International Women's Day. This time last year, we discussed the failings of gender-blind infrastructure projects, exploring the PIDGE Gender Equity Action Plan. This has now grown and evolved to become the PIDGE Gender Equity, Diversity and Inclusion Initiative, or JEDI. The JEDI goes a step beyond what was in place before, broadening the mandate and expanding what it means to be inclusive. To tell us more about the JEDI, its purpose and its pillars, we're joined by Celia Cabosa, Senior Sustainable Development Impact Advisor at PIDGE, and Emily Wood, Head of Social Performance and Safeguarding at PIDGE. Emily, can you first remind us what gender lens investing is and why it's beneficial? Gender lens investing means considering gender in all our investment decisions. It means it's not an optional requirement. Gender considerations must be integrated into all our thinking and decision making. So what does that mean in practice? We set minimum gender equality requirements and we set minimum requirements for safeguarding against gender-based violence and harassment. These must be met in all our projects. And then we screen all our investments for the potential to be gender empowering, such that we can then support those projects, realise this potential. We're really lucky because the, the field has been building itself for 20 years now. So we've got a lot of data and research and studies showing us what those benefits look like. So you've got everything from, you know, higher profits to, you know, diversity of thought and perspective leading to more creativity and innovation, which, as we know, kind of drive a lot of that high profit, as well as, you know, enhanced design features if you're delivering a service or a product or the infrastructure asset itself. And we also know, uh, and again, you know, context matters, but generally speaking, when you economically empower women, particularly in low-income settings, you actually stand to benefit from a climate outcome perspective. And we also know that women are more likely than men to actually um, invest in terms of improved outcomes at the household level. So, you know, better food security for children, better energy decision makings for their children, for example, to complete their homework, more investments in health, etc. So you get a real kind of investment in, in human capital, we would call it. And I guess the main benefit is also knowing that you're not excluding half of the population in an investment decision, particularly when we know that women have a key role, you know, to play as infrastructure users, community managers, and also energy decision makers at the household level. A year on from your last appearance on the podcast, how much has changed in terms of the recognition of the impact of gender lens investing? So actually, a lot has changed since last year. You know, we now have a formalized gender equality assessment process, which our SDI colleagues are very well versed in. And actually, um, and I think Emily will agree with me, over the past year, we've, um, because we're both involved in a lot of the review of the TA applications, we've been seeing a lot more of these that are moving away from maybe the more industry standard, more kind of generic uh, recommendations for training for women. And we're actually seeing a lot more of that that GEA, gender equality assessment analysis embedded into the TA. So then the TA will kind of, you know, explore what it is that women need. 
and actually tried to repurpose some of the funds to find the right, you know, gender and inclusion specialist that can then not just build out that recommendation and turn it into something tangible, but also potentially, you know, find an implementation partner, whether it's the consultant itself or liaising with an NGO or a CSO, et cetera. So we're actually seeing a lot more of that taking shape in, a, in an intentional and evidence-driven way. So yeah, a lot has actually changed since we last spoke. So let's get into the Jedi now. Pitch is taking its cue from the Jedi plan of the Gender Smart and 2X initiatives. Theirs is Jedi with a J for justice, whereas Pitch has chosen G for gender. Celia tells us about its overall purpose. So our, our Jedi really, for me, I think about it as a, as a kind of public accountability tool, right? Because we're constantly, you know, setting higher expectations and standards for um, our investees and our sponsors on our projects, right? In terms of, you know, what Emily looks after on the safeguarding front and also what I'm looking after on the sustainable development impact front on um, social inclusion. So, you know, we're raising the bar for our investees and our projects, but then we have to be able to look ourselves in the mirror and say, you know, are we walking the talk and are we being consistent and congruent with the values that we want to share and and build with our investees. So we need to be able to to do that and say, yeah, we're also checking ourselves and and thinking about how we can kind of foster that that uh culture and atmosphere of diversity, you know, at the corporate level at Pidge. And how does the Jedi differ from previous Pidge gender impact strategies? In 2021, we started out with our gender equality action plan and that provided Pidge with a roadmap to allow us to develop our understanding on gender issues and to ensure that our policies, culture and activities included a gender perspective. From this, we were able to develop our gender lens investing policy and our gender equality assessment process. Now we've comfortably embedded these processes. We're in a position that we can widen our remit to include the gender diversity inclusion. So JEDI is taking us on that bigger journey from gender to the whole gender equity, diversity and inclusion area. So already the IFC performance standards and our HSCS policies asked us to consider adverse social and human rights impacts on women and vulnerable groups. And the JEDI Action Plan will allow us to focus on what that really means in terms of the risk of gender disparity, the risk of being non-inclusive and the risk of causing harm to women and people with disabilities. And it then would allow us to focus on how we identify opportunities for achieving positive and inclusive outcomes. Yeah, and just to add, as as Emily mentioned, you know, the Jedi shows our enhanced level of ambition over the years regarding gender and inclusion and ensures that we progress consistently on this front in terms of our own values as, as workers as well at the, at the corporate level. And, you know, as Emily said, we did initially prioritise gender for a while as the biggest determinant of exclusion in the infrastructure space, you know, given long-standing assumptions, you know, that infrastructure is gender blind. And unfortunately, this, you know, still prevails today in some circles, more kind of under the floorboards. But, you know, once we were comfortable with this and in terms of how to kind of challenge that assumption and make sure that didn't happen on our projects, we then kind of get, gained enough momentum and experience to start looking at other facets of identity that are very relevant to the infrastructure space. And the, you know, the most kind of glaringly obvious one for us for a while was, you know, disability. If we're in the business of, you know, 
putting infrastructure on on the built environment in the world, then we want to make sure that we're not just preventing exclusion, but that our infrastructure assets are also providing that enabling environment, you know, to bring in people with disabilities. So, you know, once again, the JEDI is an opportunity to look at this nexus again between specifically disability, gender, infrastructure, climate, which I'll be honest with you, a lot of, you know, infrastructure investors will, you know, in more, you know, reduced or private circles will tell you that they 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 have good intentions, they want to do good, but they don't really understand the nexus. They don't really understand what works. And even intuitively, they struggle in terms of understanding how they're even related. So the Jedi is a real, again, public accountability tool to put us on the hook to really explore this and, and share our lessons and build the field. Now, there are three main pillars adhered to in Jedi. Can you tell us about these? Yes, yes. So so just like previously in our Gender Action Plan, we have the three main pillars. Pillar one is do no harm. So this sets out the actions that we need to embed inclusion and diversity risk management into our gender risk management processes. This includes actions for identifying inclusion and diversity risk, enhancing our existing tools to help us with due diligence, providing guidance on risk mitigation, and setting up the training that we will need to implement this effectively. So to give an example of where we're heading, we will continue to be screening investments for GBVH risk. We'll also be looking at the design of the infrastructure projects and whether they have the potential to exclude people with disabilities. We'll be looking for the risk of non-inclusive labour management policies and practices. So are people, for example, with disabilities being actively excluded from the workplace? And are people with disabilities then being employed in unsafe or unfair conditions? And only when we're uncomfortable with these risks and that they're being managed effectively, can we then move to pillar two of JEDI. And just to say, you know, pillar two, again, I I always talk about, you know, pillar two doing a relay race off of pillar one. So when, you know, as uh, Emily mentioned, we're, we're comfortable that those risks are being managed. And again, you know, our HSES colleagues are our first pair of eyes in terms of risks, but also opportunities. So once we're comfortable with that, we take our, you know, analysis and information from our HSES colleagues and we start looking at the empowerment piece. So enhancing the positive, sustainable development impact of our projects. And, you know, traditionally, Pillar 2 was called empowering women and girls in our projects. And, you know, even though we've decided to keep this title we are, as I said earlier, building out, you know, those facets of identity. So yes, we're focusing on women and girls because they're half of the population and they're traditionally excluded from the benefits of infrastructure. But now we're taking a much more kind of careful look at those different uh, determinants of exclusion. So men with disabilities, women with disabilities, girls with disabilities, boys with disabilities, you know, and and maybe in the future, who knows, we we look at age as another kind of interaction with identity. So pillar two is just showing how we're building our, our processes in line with HSES to make sure that we can maximize that inclusion potential with a specific focus on those determinants that we know are most relevant to infrastructure. And at the moment, we've landed on gender and disability, but that's not to say that, you know, others could could come, you know, in the in the short term to medium future. So pillar three is then leading by example. 
What are we, the Pidge Group, doing to ensure an inclusive and safe place of work for everyone? So we've set up a lively working group with representatives from across the Pidge companies to share ideas and critically examine our practices. We're also informed by employee surveys and we're going to contribute to the questions being asked in this year's survey. We've already introduced a mentoring scheme in order to support everyone across Pidge reach their potential. We've run unconscious bias training and have this as an ongoing action. We've made commitments around ensuring inclusive representation on both internal and external panel discussions. And through the JEDI Action Plan, we'll be able to see these commitments embedded into our policies. So we've heard the theory, but let's find out now about some of the projects Pidge is working on that showcase a commitment to these pillars. Well, Acorn Student Housing in Kenya is a great example. This project really is a Pidge group project. There's a total investment of 65 million from Garanko and the Emerging Africa Infrastructure Fund, and also an investment of 23 million from Infraco Africa. The project is to build and maintain affordable student housing for 2,500 students with an expected uptake of 60% women. The project is employing over 40% women in the workforce across a wide range of roles, including at the board level. So the design of the project considers the safety and well-being of women students. This includes employing female housekeeping and security staff, having dedicated floors, rooms, cooking and communal areas for women, having CCTV, improved lighting around the buildings and secure access uh, using these biometric access cards. In addition, there are rooms that have been designed for prospective students with disabilities. And the design features include lowered countertops and lowered beds in some of the rooms. And all of the lifts have been widened and there are designated washrooms for disabled people in the communal areas. Thanks, Emily. And I'm just going to jump in around a couple of projects that come to mind because Acorn is, is a great example of that dual gender and, and disability and even climate lens. But, you know, lately I've been thinking about some of the projects from InfraCoAsia, like Kandal Cold Storage or the Cambodia Water Portfolio Project with KWASH. And, you know, these are really two really good examples of not just investing in a high impact sector that naturally lends itself to more opportunities for women, as is the water sector, but also in terms of, of the good that can come out of, you know, using TA as your key driver of, of that gender and inclusion outcome. So in both cases, there was a very intentional and careful approach to making sure that the recommendations embedded into the TA were really conscious of the evidence around Cambodian women in the respective sectors. So one is a project in the manufacturing space, one is in the water uh, supply sector. And it was really looking at, you know, the barriers that women experience from benefiting equitably within those respective workforce, you know, sectors, and then looking at the gendered skills gap and, you know, trying to to build that into the TA delivery and intervention. And, you know, there's a there's a possibility, I think we're going to see as this goes, because I think the TA is still being developed, but especially with KWASH, I think part of the funds are going to be used for uh, re-examining um, a grant a program currently that the company has around helping low-income households with their connection fees for water supply. And we're trying to really look at what low-income households means. For example, does it include female-headed households that are more vulnerable? 
Does it include households with a person with disabilities? Or is there a correlation between female-headed households who then also house a person or more with, you know, a, a disability? And and seeing how, you know, that that project, you know, how we can build in recommendations to to bolster it and therefore really help those marginalized and excluded groups from accessing something as primary and essential as safe drinking water. So those are two other examples that come to mind. Now, Pidge has been using a web-based app called Equilo, which automates the gender analysis process. And incredibly, it's open access and completely free. Can you tell us how it works and how Pidge is using it? Yes, of course. So just to set the scene, at the moment, we are screening all our investments for GBVH risk. And to do that, we need to have an understanding of what the salient risks are to the project, both at a country and a sector level. So we have been doing that using the UNDP Gender Inequality Index and the Women's Peace and Security Index, combined with our own qualitative consideration of the project sector and the project specifics. So the Equilo GBVH tool provides a GBVH risk rating and a profile for the country and a sector. The tool considers GBVH across 200 different gender domains that are grouped into law and policy, power and decision-making, access to resources, human dignity and knowledge and beliefs. It uses the reference tools that we've been using and builds on these with additional databases to develop its risk profile. And then it also provides a contextual comparison considering that risk against the country's wider region and a comparison against global data. So overall, in essence, it provides us with a simpler and much more rigorous screening tool for looking at GBVH risk. And then we can also access the tool to provide more high level detail of where to focus when we do our project due diligence. The one that I'm going to talk about, it's called a Jesse tool, which is, uh, if I'm correct, gender equality and social inclusion analysis contextual tool. And what it does, I mean, it's really, really impressive because it basically gives you, as as their CEO, Jessica Menon, would say, the latest and greatest gender data. And what it does is for each indicator of which, by the way, they have hundreds, each indicator that they have is made up of anywhere between 10 and 12 data points that are, you know, constantly being updated and coming from internationally recognized, you know, sources, respected sources on gender and inclusion. And so what it does, similar to to what Emily was talking about, the GBVH risk tool, what it's doing is it's telling you how that country is performing according to whatever indicator you pick relative to, to other comparators. So, you know, I think it can compare relative to income group, region, and how it's doing, you know, relative to global performance. So you can really focus in on where a country is doing well and not so well in. And you can then, you know, because you're backed by data, you're not backed by assumptions or or a hunch or something you heard or anecdotal evidence. You're really using the latest data to really drive you in that investment decision. And then it has a really, really cool qualitative section that puts that data into, into kind of, well, it just kind of paints the picture a little bit. So it'll give you a number and then it says, okay, well, this is why this, this indicator is important for this sector. And these are the historical trends in country. So you can really start setting the scene. 
for that particular country. And and sometimes you can even get sector-specific indicators. I know that this is something that Jessica's working on. And then lastly, a really, really cool feature is the what works section, where you can actually like funnel down from a very, you know, initially quite a high level list of recommendations in terms of what to what the project can do and focus on. You can start reducing down that list in terms of what level of impact you want. So compliance, empowerment or transformative action and also by the type of actor you're interested in. So is it from a DFI perspective? Is it from an investor perspective? Is it from a, a safeguarding perspective? And so, you know, that paired with the data that you have with that Jesse tool, you can really start building an accurate picture of what needs to happen on the ground. And the great thing is we're actually using the Jesse with the GBVH risk tool that that Emily was talking about. So on both the safeguarding and the empowerment front, we can be pretty sure that we're getting the most up-to-date and kind of comprehensive indicators in terms of our, you know, respective fields of what we're interested in. So anyway, we're piloting this for a year and we're going to collect feedback on it, but we're really excited and, and so far it's served us really well. Let's talk about the 2X Collaborative, which has now merged with the Gender Smart Initiative to become 2X Global with the mission statement, Invest in Women. This is a global membership and field building organization essentially designed to help investors make gender focused investments. So how is Pidge involved? So Pidge actually became a member of uh, 2X Global in late 2022, actually early 2022. There was a bit of an overlap. And what we're trying to kind of gain really from this, apart from being more connected and more in touch with our fellows and and other, you know, like-minded infrastructure investors and developers, you know, facing the same challenges and opportunities as us, is that we really want to just position ourselves as co-leads of what's, you know, known as the more, you know, currently it's an informal community of infrastructure practitioners. Who knows how, you know, that could that could evolve. Maybe it turns into one of the key pillars of of the work streams under 2x global but again we're trying to really you know build the field and share our knowledge in terms of what works for women in the climate inclusion and infrastructure space and obviously you know like when you join any partnership or any big community you want to try to see you know what the best way to leverage the network is not just to fulfill our our jedi commitments but also to learn you know as much as possible from others and just explore whatever opportunities can come up and finally, let's look to the future. What are Pidge's gender impact ambitions for the next few years? Well, look, we've got really strong, robust processes in place around gender. We can manage risk. We can identify the risk. We, we've got the tools now um, and we've got the potential to, to look at that gender empowerment on our projects. But we really need to just do this more, do it more and do it better and keep doing it. We really need to be able to support our projects, realise their gender empowerment potential. And we need to be more ambitious. You know, we've we've just got to keep leading and keep being more and more ambitious and setting higher targets for ourselves. And we can do this by providing support to our projects from our technical assistance facility and from our impact team. You know, we've got we've got great tools. We need to just keep rolling those out. We need to keep sharing them with the wider community. We've got our safeguarding rules. We've got these translated into 12 languages. We've got amazing animations now as training tools. You know, we want to see these being used everywhere worldwide. And um, we're going to continually look to raise our internal capacity and raise external capacity on our projects through our Pidge Institute events. 
And of course, we're going to be really proactively working to embed Jedi through all these gender processes. So I think we're just going to be really looking to do more of the implementation, more of the monitoring, more of the checking, more to see what the results we're getting and to learn from those results and to be sharing that on the, in the wider stage. For me, in the near to medium term, I, I really see Paige, as you said, focusing on that kind of operational like delivery almost of that screened inclusion potential for our projects. So to really crack the nut in terms of how to ensure that positive SDI translates into real impact for women and other key groups on the ground. You know, so once we we have our really strong screening tools for risk and opportunity identification on gender and inclusion in place, and as Emily said, we're well on our way, how do we make sure that that this gets delivered on the ground? And I can also see Paige, you know, forming really interesting and, and useful partnerships with a range of actors like NGOs, OPDs, that's organizations led by people with disabilities, CBOs, you know, and other networks that just have so much local knowledge that we can really build on. And again, you know, even though we are very in touch with our projects, we are, you could arguably say, especially from the London office, maybe a little bit further removed from the reality on the ground. So I think leveraging those kind of partnerships are even more important to make sure again, that we're not making any assumptions about the people that we're trying to reach or what they need. I can also imagine Paige contributing to a world, and this is something that we say, you know, almost every year in, in the Gender Smart Summit, contributing to a world where the business case for gender lens investing is just not a part of the conversation anymore. Everybody's bought into the, the business case and we just know it's the right thing to do and we know it delivers good business outcomes. So I think, you know, I can see us just raising our ambition further, as I said before, in terms of, you know, what aspects of inclusion do we also want to start prioritizing? And in this way, continuing to build the field in, in something that a lot of people, as I said earlier, still consider to be pretty mysterious. So I think we're going to have a big role in demystifying all of, all of this stuff. Thanks to Celia and Emily for joining us on today's podcast. You can find out more about the Pidge Gender Equity, Diversity and Inclusion Initiative on our website, pidge.org. You've been listening to Pidge Pulse. You can find our podcast on all the major platforms. Please like and review us on Apple Podcasts. I'm Oli Gyu. And I'm Shika Voto. Thanks for listening. <laughs>